guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a great guest today from the northernmost tire manufacturer in Finland, Nokian is here. The northernmost tire manufacturer in the world, which happens to be in Finland. Yes, that is a really cool distinction, actually. That's true. That's a very good point. (laughs) Um, They probably are the northernmost in Finland as well. But yes, I did not say something that was not true. That's absolutely, absolutely it. So uh, they're going to be on the podcast later to talk to us about everything snow tire. And then you have something kind of figured out. As yeah, well. I also wanted to talk about tire ratings. I keep as saying a whole. snow tires. I mean, they're not winter snow tires. tires. That's a misnomer. Winter, winter tires. Tires. Yes. So before we get to that, though, let's hop right in and talk about our sponsor, WeatherTech. So I have a dog, and you have a dog, Chris. I do. And if you ever have your dog ride in your vehicle, at least with mine, all of my pets for some reason shed. An ungodly amount. My dog doesn't shed that much. I'm lucky. So I have seat covers, which of course are a great investment. And you can get your WeatherTech seat covers as well. Their seat protectors defend against scratches, damage, and spills that can ruin the seat surface. It stays securely in place with the help of durable straps, specialty inserts, and non-slip bottom. Designed for quick and easy installation, this water-repellent seat cover is easily removable and machine washable as well. Seat protectors are perfect for family road trips and, as I mentioned, pet owners. To learn more about WeatherTech and their products for your home, car, or pet, be sure to head over to WeatherTech.com. We also need to mention our giveaway that's closing up. One lucky listener will receive a $250 WeatherTech gift card by going to WeatherTech.com slash Overcrest and entering. So I started looking at what it's actually going to take to do my front pan on my car. Started adding up parts. Yeah. So it's going to be about a thousand bucks. Okay. I've gotten as far as buying the drill bits for drilling out the spot welds. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. That's as far as I've gotten. And I actually took a wire wheel and kind of went through. And the front, the uh, I guess it would be the driver's side mm-hmm. corner of that car is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. As I look into it, I got, there's a lot of like welding that I'm like, ooh, that's not good. No. So I'm trying to figure out if somehow I was looking at maybe trying to get a front clip. Yeah. And then I saw one online. Front clip, 1971, just for... Just, Just the, the clip. front clip, which is cut off the car, right, is four thousand dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, you that's like I don't know, ten percent of the car. So you do the math, and yeah, you I don't know. I, I guess I could really have to get the rest of the, you know, the spray paint off and see what they did and get the fender off and see the battery box and kind of see what's going on on your existing car just to see how far you have to just go. Just to with see it. how far I sure. have to go because I'm like, I think I could do a front pan, but trying to straighten out a bunch of body work and stuff like that might be too much for me. So I'm not really sure. Especially on such a nice car like yours. Like yeah. if you have a ratty old car you don't have to care much about, then you My don't care. My car is nice bad. in a way. It's been hit in the front, which is why it has this problem. Okay. But it's not a rusty car, no. really. I mean, it needs a front pan. They all need a front pan. Every <laughs> single, it's not a matter of if, it's, it's when. when. It's it's something that you're going to need. So it's it needs to be done. Most people have them done. I mean, this yeah. gets done all the time, but it's like I said, it's four or $5,000 every time you do it. Yeah. And I don't even want to do it one time or pay somebody else to do it for me one time. So we're just kind of stuck here. I got to figure out what's going on. I don't really know. It's kind of making me nervous. I don't know. Anything yeah. going on with you? Well, speaking of drill bits, I didn't even list this, but I realized I keep acquiring new tools because as I'm outfitting my garage, I'm like, all right, got to get rid of this. So I love the little... Is this because I made fun of your little voltmeter that one time when I was yes. over? Yeah, so the... I got a very nice voltmeter, by the way. So you had this little voltmeter. <laughs> I don't know that... where that went. I loaned that to someone. If there was a place that was in 
if you were in China, right, as a citizen, yeah, and you were gonna buy something, yep. the person from China would go, "Oh, I don't want this. <laughs> this is too cheap. This looking. is no good. I yeah. don't know. This thing so doesn't smell very nice." Voltmeter. Okay, uh, but I also got rid of. I had this huge, really cool industrial drill press. Did you ever see that thing? No. It was a 1946 Delta Packard. Okay, I thought you were massive. selling a drill press. I did. I got rid of that one, but now I'm without a drill press. Okay. So I got a new drill press, a tabletop model that's like a nice, not Harbor Freight one. It's okay. an actual nice one. It's got a speed control, digital readout, lasers. Oh it's my great. god! For what? For what are you drilling? Need? For drilling what? Well, when I was making my seat brackets for the new seats I have in my 911, I was like drilling by hand. I was like, this is stupid. I need a drill press again. Okay, so, so I got next, a nice drill. So press. next time you buy a 911 that needs seat brackets made, you'll be all set. Uh, yeah, well, I do have to do my passenger seat still. So. Yeah, no, you don't. Just yeah. f that guy. Let uh, them sit. My over there. wife, she goes, maybe I'll buy this next seat because you're not getting around to it. I was like, all right, that's fine by me. <laughs> She's like, go. I'm the one that sits here. So I got a new drill press. I got a new bandsaw because when I did my buddy's exhaust, okay, I was like uh, cutting by hand with a little, you know, reciprocating yeah. saws. That a pain. sucks. That sucks. So I got a new bandsaw. Is this the one where you kind of put the pipe in the clamp yep, and you? You just, just put the sauna and walk it. away. Yep. Yeah, those it's are nice. Great. And then I also got a new floor jack because I love I had the low profile aluminum they're like, they're racing junk. jack, right? Every single aluminum racing jack yes. is junk. They I all have this like little way. U-joint pin that's right next to the pivot point and it breaks. And I got a good one. Mine was like a Torin, like the big red brand. It was like yeah, a decent one. Great, and they don't work very exactly. well. Exactly. So have, I got you have to push good, so hard. There's not enough leverage on those things for some reason. A lot of it too. The hydraulic assist must not be very good. Well, mine just started leaking, and it couldn't mm. hold pressure. I've so, had the same jack for almost nine or ten years, and it the caster's broken. It kind of slides around sideways, <laughs> but it still works. But it still works, and it's awesome. So I, I got a, a foot good, pedal on it. I do like that. I didn't yeah. go for the foot pedal model. That okay. was extra. Okay. But I got a good low profile steel one. Why? Because then you could just foot pedal up yeah, to the 24 of inches there. of ground clearance <laughs> exactly. that you got on that thing. So, yeah, I was acquiring more tools for my garage. Have you uh, put your 911 away yet? I haven't. I just took it out this last weekend. Me and a buddy explored. Uh, so our rally kind of went south in Wisconsin. Yep. And I went north in Wisconsin no along the river. river. No, it's not. But we went to a couple different, like, there's little wineries all over up oh, there, believe yes, it or not. Oh, yes, of course. Did you also get brunch? We did get brunch, and then we went did. to a bunch of little wineries. But I'm driving in the back roads, and the sun's kind of low in the sky, so there's all these long ca shadows cast across the road, sure. right? And so I'm I'm pushing it, and I don't see that the road. It's it wasn't really the camber of the road. It was like the camber huge. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say camber. I said camber. Inside joke. Um, not to everybody listening. It's not. <laughs> Depends on how long you've been listening. I used to say camber, which I still don't think is wrong. What? But apparently it is. It's absolutely wrong. Regardless, sometimes the road has like a crest it's called a crown. To it. A crown. Thank you. Uh, this was just like huge. What would you call that? Like ruts in the yeah, concrete. From, from trucks that are over right. the weight limit for the road driving. So on the road. what happens then is there's a massive hump in the middle. So yes. my tires are down in these ruts and I'm low and I'm doing probably 70. All of a sudden I just like sparks are flying behind me. It yeah. sounds like my car is grinding away. It sounded like <laughs> Armageddon inside the car. That would be Carmageddon. Carmageddon. Yeah, it sounded like Carmageddon. Soon enough your bottom of your car will look just like mine. Yes. So <laughs> I haven't even looked at it yet. I didn't jack it up. I was like, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I got underneath it. I looked. I made sure the case didn't have any marks on it. The nice thing is, is that the case is not the lowest part yeah, of the, the car. Yeah, the engine is actually set up a little bit higher compared not to much, the floor pan. But, it, but, but it's enough. So that was, uh, I don't know, that was concerning. All right, before we get to our interview with Noki and Tire, what have you got for us? That's right. Let's talk about Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly subscription service specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. Buy car guys for car guys. Each month, they carefully select cool items like tools, detailing supplies. You get T-shirts, garage gear, stickers, all sorts of stuff, and they deliver it right there to your doorstep. There's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month at $19.95, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check these guys out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERACREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. Hello, this is Wes. Hey, Wes, it's Chris from the Overcast Podcast. Jake and I are here to talk to you about tires. Hey, Wes. How's it going, guys? Very, very good. I, uh, you know, I had a set of Nokian tires on a car a long time ago. I don't know if I told you that when we were talking earlier, but I had an old Volkswagen Rabbit pickup truck, and it had probably what what would be a small Nokian tire size for like a thirteen inch <laughs> tire? What would what would the size be? Would it be like one thirty five or one forty five or something? something like that. Very, yeah. Very narrow. And I, my buddy had a, a Quattro A four with all season tires. And I beat him off the line in the snow in my front wheel drive, thirty year old pickup truck. There you go with Nokia tires. So anyway, I, I wanted <laughs> I wanted to uh, bring you on because it's it's winter tire season here. But before we get into the winter tire stuff, what do, what do you do at Nokia Tire? So you might call me the chief story officer for uh, for our North American uh, branch of the company. So I'm a, my title is marketing communications manager. So it's basically my job is to tell our story to consumers and sometimes to dealers. So uh, any kind of messaging and media, company spokesperson type of duties, and, and devising PR plans that are going to make sure we're positioning our company among people who will really benefit from our products, and, and especially in the winter, but not certainly limited to winter tires. Right. So tell me a story about Nokia and Tire. What's, what's the story there with the company? So uh, in 1898, a company was founded called Finnish Rubber Works to make galoshes. I'm sorry, I've got a barking dog in the background. No, that's here. all right. Very we love dogs. Uh, so, so this company you know, decided we're going to make galoshes, so different kind of tread patterns, but, but meant for Finnish uh, <laughs> snow in its own way. And uh, so in the 1930s, they diversified. They were, they were making rubber for galoshes. They ended up making rubber for tires. And uh, we made the first winter tire, Invented the winter tire back in 1932. The Hakapolita line began in 1934, and ever since we've been that we've been making tires. Now, funny story about that: a lot of people hear Nokian tires and they think Nokia phones. Same city, <laughs> actually, Finland, and used to be the same company. So no Nokia, oh, yeah. Wow. So, so Nokia was making rubber for telecommunications lines, phone lines. And kind of got into the telecom business from there, began making phones, no longer the same company. They split, I believe, in the 80s. But uh, interesting there, a lot of people, when you say Nokia, and they think phones and not tires. I was actually going to thank you for the snake game on my original Nokian phone back in the day. (laughs) I'd spent a lot of time playing that. I mean, it's a testament. Those phones were so durable. Those things were bricks, which it makes (laughs) sense. Nokian, good tires. Nokia, good phones. 
right the on. Finnish know how to craft high quality, durable things. So yeah, I'm sure the galoshes were top of the line as well. Do you guys have a set at the at the office there? Do you have a set of these well, galoshes? We did. That would be great <laughs> if there were some sort of museum where we had some 1898 uh, circa galoshes we could walk around. <laughs> so hey, what, one thing we do have that we bring around, we bring a bike around that has studded tires on. That's pretty cool. But uh, no, no galoshes. So do you guys make? So you have bikes with studded tires. Do you have those? What are those bikes called? The the big ones with the huge tires. Oh, the penny farthing. Oh no, you're talking the fat tire bike. The fat tire bike, not a penny farthing. I was farthing. thinking back to 1800s <laughs> penny farthing. You, oh, got, no. <laughs> you, you guys make tires for those too, or do no, you? We don't actually do that. That's a novelty bike that we had a special oh, special okay. custom design made for. We don't actually. But if we did, there'd be a great name for it, right? You call them bike affiliates. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it would be good. So, so what makes a good tire in general, and just in a broad sense? What makes a good tire sure. and what makes maybe even what, what makes a bad tire might actually be interesting, too. Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll go there with you for sure. So, so I think it's really all in the compound. There's a reason that when you go to a tire factory, they're pretty liberal, really, about what they will show you. And then I give tours of our new factory in, in southeast Tennessee, our first North American facility. There's one area, though, where you're typically not going to be able to go. Or if you go, it's going to be pretty guarded, and that's the mixing area. And that's the secret sauce. So what really makes a great tire is the compound. Now, for some companies, that compound means they're going to obviously be, be well-built for durability to last a long time. For others, it's about safety or sustainability. That's our deal. We're safety and sustainability focused. Uh, but, but really, it's all about the compound. And so a good tire is going to have a premium compound that's going to be softer and more responsive to the road. Now, that leads into the second part of your question. What makes a bad tire? Or at least what doesn't make a good tire? I think consumers rate one thing way too highly, and that's durability. Yeah. But certainly, any, any tire out there, you want to last, and, and ours do. But there's a trade-off, right? Because the, the more durable a tire, typically that means it's a harder compound. And that harder compound is going to be less. We call those tiny tires hockey pucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like a chocolate bar in the freezer. You know, you don't want to eat it when you leave it in there too long. It, it's gonna. It's not going to respond to the road. So when I see a tire come out that has a warranty of, you know, 100,000 miles, I think I'm not putting that on my car. You know, <laughs> yeah. it may be a well-built tire, but chances are it's, it's trading off some of that safety for, for durability. Now, certainly there's a happy medium. And so, you know, we work to make tires that are rugged, that are tough, that will last a long time. But if there's ever a trade-off we're being asked to make between safety and durability, we're choosing safety every time. Right. So when you look at uh, some of the tires that you make, you don't just make winter tires. What are some of the other type of tires that you guys have on the shelf? Right. And actually, that's why we built this factory in southeast Tennessee is to make all season and all weather tires. And and that's a key distinction. I think a lot of people in this market don't understand. I was in uh, in Denver, actually, Monday. and I was talking to some folks over there. You know, I traveled to Denver a good bit and landed in Denver, which is a rental car place one time. And they said, OK. Here's the deal. It's 50 degrees in Denver. You're going up into the mountains. In case things go sideways and it's snowy, you're safe. You're good because you've got all-season tires. <laughs> and I said, actually, <laughs> that was nice about it. You know, this guy's in an auto or auto-adjacent industry working at the real car place. But actually, what a lot of people don't know is all-season tires are not meant for all seasons unless you live in Phoenix or Orlando. <laughs> and uh, so we, we do make some capable all-seasons or summer tires, as they're probably known more, more commonly as in Minnesota. But we make all-weather tires as well, which have winter-driving properties when you do go into the mountains or when you're in an area with maybe milder or more unpredictable winter weather. And yet they can be driven year-round. 
I think we call a lot of those tires that are the all-season tires. We call them no, no seasons. seasons. Yeah, that's a no-season tire. <laughs> it's really not good. It's really not good for anything. All right, before we get into the uh, the uh, the winter tire stuff, uh, we take a little break here. Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, we need to mention one of our sponsors. So let's take a, a moment to talk about Oberk Car Care. Oberk is your premier source for detailing compounds, pads, and polishes. And with 15 years of experience in the industry, the engineers at Oberk have made a simple, holistic system that really takes the guesswork out of paint correction. So regardless of what vehicle you're working on, their paint is or their products are developed to work with any and all paint types. Be sure to check them out over at oberkcarcare.com and use the exclusive code OVERCREST to get 15% off any order over 35 bucks and they'll even throw in one of their famous Eagle Eagle Edges towels for OVERCREST fans. All right. So I'm going to make a a faux pas on on the tires real quick and okay. i'm going to call them snow tires right Uh-oh. so so we're going to talk about <laughs> snow tires and that's bad right we don't want to call them snow tires do we right and that has become a common shorthand and certainly understand when people think about winter tires that's what comes to mind first right something where i can safely navigate snow and, and ice you guys are in minnesota right like that's that's oh, like yeah. a very common issue you know obviously to think about but really snow tires should be called winter tires because they're built for cold conditions, not just for snow and ice. So even if I live somewhere that doesn't get consistent snow and ice, if it gets enough to justify the purchase, but it's also cold, like below 40 degrees, then, you know, that's, that's why they're, they're winter tires, really. All-season tires are not meant to drive when it's less than 40 degrees. That chocolate bar consistency, right, when you put it in the freezer, they're going to they're gonna harden. They're not going to be as safe even when there's no snow and ice. So that's why we call them winter tires, because the compounds are not just made for snow and icy situations. They're made actually for, for cold in general. So I have a question for you. You brought up that 40-degree number, and I'm always curious when you should actually put on, because I, I do have a set, being a good Minnesotan, I do have a set of dedicated winter tires that I do need to replace soon with hopefully some Nokians. But regardless, at what point do you recommend getting off your dedicated summer performance tires and going to the winter tires? I think it's always kind of a common question up here. It's like, oh, we got snow in the forecast, but it's still going to be warmer again. For me, it's actually when, you, when you're going to take them off, because I want to put my cool wheels on, and my cool wheels generally don't, don't have winter tires on them, so I'm always wondering when to take them off yeah is there is there actually a rule of thumb here yeah you know i'll tell you when most people do it and what we don't encourage is when the first snowfall hits uh that's when we really see demand skyrocket at our at our dealers that we work with and you can understand why you know snow's on the ground and people are freaking out and want to jump on it i think in general especially if you're driving non-studded winter tires studded a little tougher and there, there are regulations around that particularly in places like minnesota and in Michigan, other places where they're not even legal. Uh, but I think, you know, when you have non-studded, you've got some flexibility to do it earlier rather than later. Depends on your area. But, you know, think of the earliest you've ever gotten snowfall in your particular area and go ahead and plan to have them on then because you just never, you never really know. Um, you know, and that's especially the case if you are driving on summer tires or all-season tires. You, know, you don't want to take that chance, especially when that first snowfall in areas like Minnesota. I'll argue that people do know. Anybody that's lived here knows in October, at the end of October, <laughs> it's going to snow. It's yeah. going to. It happens every single year. And I think that the yep. issue is is that nobody really necessarily sees things as 
as fun, right? Snow tires aren't necessarily a fun purchase unless you have Quattro and you want to go rip around in a parking yeah. lot. It may not be a fun purchase, but um, a set of tires for $1,000 is probably the same as your deductible if you get in an accident. Hey, and there you go. And it's probably actually going to save your life or save your property anyway. So what – it's all for yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that does bring up the question, you know, I've always thought – and whether this is a misnomer or not, I'll, I'll ask you, Wes. You know, the danger in putting them on too long or leaving a winter tire on year-round, is that basically just that it's going to wear differently when it's warmer out and you won't have the durability of the tire? Yes, that, that's exactly correct. And that's what we don't recommend that people um, use winter tires year-round. It's going to wear differently. It's going to wear unevenly. Those tires are they're such a soft, responsive compound that's snow and ice that they become very soft and, you know, and, and not as durable on the road in, in dry conditions, certainly in heat. And even in some wet conditions, you know, our tires stand up pretty well on wet roads. But in general, winter tires are not going to perform as well on, on wet, slippery roads. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's certainly a point to, uh, to keep in mind uh, that, that, yeah, that those tires are just not going to last as long. However, you, you have some buffer to play with. Again, especially if you're driving non-studded like our Hakafleta R3s, you know, you get them on a couple weeks early. It's not going to kill you. You know, not going to not going to be a, a severe wear situation. You just don't want to have them on. You know, right. so early. Don't put them on in August unless, of course, you're in a place that's getting snow in August. <laughs> well, you'd have to be pretty far north, I think. So, um, yeah. when you look at tire reviews and you go on Tire Rack, you go on Google or whatever. The Hakapalita is always. You've got two tires, I think. There's probably maybe there's more. Don't quote me on that. Obviously, you'll know. <laughs> there's a couple of tires that Nokian has. It's always on the top every year. You guys have the top-rated snow tire, and it's usually rates better than Blizzak and a bunch of other things. Why is your tire in most head-to-head competitions able to win year after year? Two things I think there. Number one, we invented the winter tire, so we have specialized in it longer than everybody else. So we had a head start on the industry, but let's be honest, that head start came in the 1930s. So it sounds really good to say that. Well, we I know can say it, that there's no Michelin galoshes out there. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so number one, we admitted them. That's great. You know, we, we are, that's a sales point for us. You know, we specialize in the longer than everybody else. But I think number two is even more important, which is that we have consistently been the chief innovator in the winter tire market. We hold more patents in the winter tires than anybody else. We test our winter tires at a place called White Hell, which is above the Arctic Circle in Finland. Have, we, have you gone up there? Yes, I have. There are more reindeer than people. <laughs> um, they're extremely remote. And it's almost, I was you know, there about a week after total darkness. So we had about four or five hours of sunlight. And it's like being on the moon, I would imagine. Oh, Just man. a stark landscape. Beautiful, but stark and brutal. And it enables us to test winter tires for 200 days out of the year. Wow. So, so you guys have a facility up there then? We do, yeah. In Evalo, Finland. It's it's north of the traditional home of Santa Claus, if that tells you how far up you are. Above wow. the Arctic Circle. Way up there. So so yeah, it's it's uh you know, a course where we can test you know, almost year round really our products. We're constantly developing new technologies, of course testing against competitors to figure out where their strengths are and what and what we need to be exceeding. Um and uh yeah, it, it's enabled us to to consistently have not just you know the claim to be the inventor, but also the chief innovator in that segment. So a lot of companies put weird stuff in <laughs> with their tire compound. I was doing a little bit of research. Some company claims that they put walnut shells in there, and those are really good. And then another company says they put carbide granules and call them diamonds and put them in their tires. But it seems like just putting uh, silica or something in the compound is 
is what one of the reasons you get a little bit more traction, right? Do you guys do anything like that? So uh, one of ours we, we can claim is canola oil. Uh, you know, I think I think there are a couple of advantages <laughs> you gain when you start to do some of those things. I don't think it's just a marketing gimmick. I think there's too much research, too cutthroat of an industry to do that just because it you know it sounds nice. You know, number one, we found that a lot of those compounds that we were able to introduce into our tire formulas uh, were more sustainable. They're more eco-friendly. Uh, we were the first company to remove high aromatic oils from our production compounds back in the 90s. And people looked at us like we were crazy. And now a lot of others have imitated that. I think there's in general this understanding among, you know, those who, who know the industry well that the tire industry is not just a bunch of dirty, smelly rubber factories. There's a lot of technology that goes into it. They are as highly engineered as just about anything out there. I think the general consumer, though, still has that image. And so I think a lot of companies have done a great job recently reversing that image and, and really proving that tire companies can be sustainable, too, and introduce a lot of those natural chemicals. But, you know, we're about safety and sustainability, so we can't be sustainable if it's not going to be safe. And so what our engineers have done, and I think what a lot of other tire companies have done, is find their own unique way to introduce non-harmful chemicals and compounds into those tires uh, that will enable them to be safer and be able to tell that, that new story of sustainability. And, you know, another piece of that is rolling resistance. The amount of friction and force that it takes to repel a tire along the road is going to save you significant money when it comes to gas mileage over the life of the tire. How do you measure uh, rolling resistance? How does that work? It's a good question. You know, that, that gets a little technical for me. I'm not exactly sure how it's measured. Sure. I know it can be directly quantified. Uh, we've actually reduced the rolling resistance of our products over the last five years by an average of 7 to 8%. Um, so that means, you know, we're a premium tire, and we're going to cost more than some of the tires out there. But number one, you're going to be safer. And number two, the savings over the life of the tire are going to make up for that price difference and then some based on the gas mileage. And, and some of that stuff is going to come. Some of those improvements come from introducing some of those more natural components into the process. So is there a difference between the compound that's in a studded tire versus a non-studded tire? Or do the studded tires just take studs? Depends on the product. So more traditionally, Non-studded tires had to have uh, an even softer, more responsive compound because they didn't have studs working with them. So a non-studded, say, Hakkapliga R3 is as safe a tire as you are going to find without studs because it's meant to make up for the lack of studs in areas where studs are not legal or maybe where they're not ideal. Um, well, if you've that, ever driven anywhere where people stud their tires, the roads are destroyed, <laughs> which is unsafe. And yeah. it's like if you go up to, I think, in Oregon or on my way over to the West Coast once, the roads are so rutted and so destroyed from studs and chains that it's it's absolutely awful to drive on this in the summertime in the dry. And that's a challenge. You know, it, we uh, we've actually tried to fight that perception and that reality that you mentioned uh, with some of our recent products. So, for instance, our uh, our studded tires. Most in recent generations of them have what's called an eco-stud cushion. So when the roads are dry, the studs actually aren't going to dig into that concrete. There's a cushion that they're going to actually kind of suck up and have less impact. But still, when it's icy, they're going to be able to dig and give you what you need. Again, another area where I think we're a leader, maybe the leader. Other companies haven't gotten there. And so, yeah, studded tires have a nasty reputation. And historically, it's pretty well earned in a lot of cases. But we've done a lot to improve that. I think other companies are working that way as well. Still a lot to be done. Have you ever got, got any response from regulators on that? Have you shown them, hey, these, these tires don't tear up the road. You should maybe think about if your tire meets the specifications, you can run studs. Has there been any response from the government on that? 
there has actually in certain areas of northern Ontario now um, that previously had outlawed studded tires, they will be allowed um, because of, in large part, the lobbying that we've done. And we're not a terribly politically active company, but when it comes to those kinds of issues, we do need to show, you know, show our work there. And uh, I think we have been able to successfully convince some folks. Now, what's unfortunate is some of the other states in the U.S. that need studded tires. Do you have any most, questions? Ban them. You know, Minnesota, you Michigan, Alaska, spots where there really could be a strong benefit. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a certainly convincing act over time. But as companies continue to develop that safer set technology, I think you'll hopefully see some of those restrictions loosen. So with speaking of regulations and, and stuff uh, in America, a lot of I think what Jake, you were saying Colorado is mandatory. I, yeah, right? I feel like there's a, a new law in Colorado where they are actually mandating snow tires for certain parts of the season and certain parts of the state. I mean, are there a lot of other regulations? Are you aware of, of places where they are required? So speaking to Colorado, they have strengthened the requirements for nine months out of the year on certain roads through the mountains. But that, that strength and requirement still only takes it to M plus S rated tires, mud plus snow. So it's not even to what our industry uses more of a winter tire uh, benchmark, which is the Three Peak Mountain Snowflake, uh, unfortunately. Uh, there it, are it's some crazy. You drive there. around in, in, in Minnesota even, you see people with just bald, <laughs> bald all-season tires on their car. I just can't. I'm not a huge government regulation guy, but I am 100% behind being required to be on snow tires because you don't drive on snow tires for a while. I'm sorry, winter tires. Yes. See, there I go with that again. If you don't drive on winter tires for a while, you kind of forget, and then you get a set of winter tires, and you're like, oh, my God. That's what it, That's why I had winter well, tires. And it is a public safety concern. It is it's a public just, safety. It's not just, ooh, I get to go faster and brake quicker than everyone else. It's, no, the guy next to you with the bald tires that aren't rated for this, they're a danger to right. you. In, in Germany, I think it's required. In a lot of Eastern European countries, I think it's required. I don't know if it's required, yeah. required in Finland, but I imagine you guys have had been able to make that happen up there. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and even in Quebec, here closer to home, it's required. Um, and uh, there's a, a pretty flexible date on it. It's December 1st that has to be done. So it's not like you have to have it in mid-October. But, yeah, and I think I think certainly that is something that should be considered elsewhere for the reason you mentioned. It is a public safety issue. You know, I, I would contend that there are there are some people who know how to drive snow, right? You get used to it regardless of your tires. There are no good ice drivers out there. <laughs> I mean, even the best trained pro- – and, and people think they are probably sometimes, but it really is all about the equipment. You know, when I went up, I'm a Tennessee guy, right? Born and raised in Nashville. And I went up to Finland and was driving our, our studded products around a frozen lake. And they told us, try to lose control. Try to take this thing into the snowbank. And I tried. I got aggressive. I couldn't do it. The studs wow. caught me every time. Like, it's amazing. You can try to screw the thing up, and it's still going to catch you and send you the direction that, that you need to be going. So when I felt that for the first time as a, as a born and raised Southerner who really not had much exposure to winter tires growing up, I realized how different it was and, and was amazed. And we had dealers up there and, and some dealers in Colorado testing uh, as well. And if they were astounded by the difference, I can only imagine what a driver is going to feel. So you know, should they be required? I, I can't speak to you know, specific legislation in a given state. We're not going to get too political here, but in general, I mean, yeah, I think it is a public safety issue, and there needs to be some degree of regulation that probably varies based on the geography. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, driving up in the basically frozen lakes with these tires. That brought up a good question. What what type of vehicle are these tires tested on? So we had some pretty sweet Audis 
crossover outing, uh, like some Q5s that we were testing on up there. Uh, but our uh, our team tests on on every car, every type of car that we could potentially be a fitment on. So everything down from a small sedan all the way up to a, to a, a, a light truck. We're gonna we're gonna test something. So what's Nok- sure. Nokian's preferred winter vehicle of choice? There you go. I don't know that we have one. <laughs> I mean, anything that our tires fit on. <laughs> well, we'll <laughs> you know, just... we don't have any. We don't have any OE relationships. We, we only do replacements, so we can't really say we're aligned with a particular manufacturer. I don't know that it's fair for us to give a recommendation. Well, let's just go uh, with a 1989 Audi 4000 Quattro with a locking differential. Can we just go? Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, man. Where can people find out more about Nokian Tire if they're interested? So NokianTires.com is our website. Now, one note here, our company is spelled with a Y-T-Y-R-E-S, but our website in North America is with an I. It's a little confusing. So, NokianTires.com. also want to mention this, this all-weather tire concept that we were talking about earlier. Yep. Again, up in Minnesota, probably going to want to switch, probably going to go winter. But there are a lot of regions of the U.S. where you want to drive something year-round. You don't really need to make that switch, but you need to be protected for the five, six, seven times a year it snows. We've got a campaign going on right now. Uh, com slash weather to learn more about our all-weather products, which I think really can be a lifesaver in a lot of parts of the U.S. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with us today. Thank you, guys. All right. You take care of yourself. Later. Bye-bye. All right. Can't thank Wes enough for coming on the podcast. That was great. That was you know, I, it was kind of, I felt like a little bit of a homer, you know, just like, oh yeah, this is so good. This, I mean, it wasn't a sponsored thing, you know, no, they didn't pay to be here. I just thought it was really important that we come in here and talk about winter tires. Right. Because it is that time of year. It as is we that said. time of year. So and speaking, speaking of, tires, of tires, yeah, <laughs> I, I wanted to break down the actual grading system of tires. Now let's be clear. I said, Hey, we need to come up with a little bit, a couple other things. I want you to look up some stats on tires yes. and stopping distances and stuff. And then Jake's proceeded to sit here for an hour yeah. geeking out about so, tire ratings. So everything you need to know about tires <laughs> is, is coming up right, right. here. So if you look at, there's definitely going to be some stuff you think, you know, but you don't. Right. So if you look at the sidewall of your tire, besides the actual size of the tire, such as, you know, a, a 215-50-15 that I run, you'll also see that 215 is the width of the tire. Yep. The 50, 50 series is the percent of that total width that is the sidewall. Right. And the 15 is the rim diameter in inches. Right. 215, and fi- 215 we should say, is millimeters. Correct. It is a very confusing system. But that's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about the UTQC rating that Which you'll is, also see. That's the Uniform Tire Quality Grading. Right. right? So that's going to be something like 400 AAA. I, okay. I would not know what you're talking about. when you. I know that the first one must be tread wear. Right. But the other so, ones, I don't know. Yes. As you said, the Uniform Tire Quality Grading, or UTQC as it's commonly abbreviated, is a set of standards created by the United States. Or G. Instead of C, alternatively, we could G is yeah. probably correct for grading <laughs> yeah. instead of C. Grading. <laughs> so regardless of the acronym, it's a set of standards set up by the United States National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in 1978. And in fact, the U.S. Department of Transportation mandated that all tires sold since March 31st, 1979 are required to have the UTQG rating stamped right there on the sidewall. Now... While the government mandates this rating be used, it's important to note that the DOT does not actually conduct the testing. So they say, hey, do this, but 
you go do it yeah. yourself. <laughs> okay. So the grades are basically that doesn't sound very government. Well, no, they're basically self-assigned by the tire manufacturers based on their own test results. So with that being said, the NHTSA has the right to inspect so it's a, a tire it's, manufacturer's it's on data. Your honor thing. It's an honor system, and the NHTSA can inspect a tire manufacturer's Especially data. Especially if to you're audit Firestone. Them. Tires that go on a Ford Explorer, I'm guessing they're going to expect those. Yeah. When was that? The late 2000s? The late 2000s? That's now, Jake. <laughs> or no, I guess no, it's not. Boy, I'm getting old. Yeah, we're in the late teens. I think it was the early 2000s. Okay, I think you're right. Regardless, uh, I did still find, even though the governing body can audit these manufacturers, I still found in my research a lot of people recommended to only compare tire ratings within the same manufacturer and that they really aren't that accurate when comparing ratings of like a tire like Nokian to that of a tire from Pirelli, for instance. It also is interesting to note that according to the federal regulation CFR section 575.104, okay. dedicated winter tires are not required to have a UTQG rating. Do you know why? Did, they, did you find out why? They don't. I didn't. Okay. No. Uh, this is also true for any non-passenger car tires, such as motorcycle tires, along with buses and commercial trucks. Is that why is that why their retreads explode all over my car? Yeah, all the time? exactly. They don't have their correct rating. So the UTQG rating itself is made up of three components: tread wear, traction, and temperature. Okay. So the tread wear grade is a comparative rating based on the wear rate of the tire when tested under controlled conditions on a specified government test track. A tire graded 200 would last twice as long on the government test course under specified test conditions as one graded as a 100. So the 100 would be like super soft, like, right. like a Pirelli super soft for F1. Actually, they go lower than 100. So like a really like, like a 50 a performance tires like, yeah, less than 100. Well, a performance we're talking. I mean, that's going to be a barely street legal tire at 50, right? Yeah. I mean, that's going to I should you should look up like some Toyo R8888 or okay, the Advan. I'll see what I can find. AO whatever. So in theory, this means that, like you said, a tire with a 200 grade will wear twice as long as a tire with a 100 grade. Okay. So how are these numbers actually determined? <laughs> a Hoosier R7, which is race and autocross yeah. only, is a 40. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So 100 isn't like terrible, terrible. Well, it'll last twice as long, apparently, as, as, a, Hoosier. as a Hoosier, <laughs> which honestly is not very long. Yeah. Okay. So here's the actual test procedure for tread wear wearing. Okay. They have a convoy typically comprised of up to four test vehicles that drive 7,200 miles on public roads on a predetermined route located in West Texas. So this is the same route that's always been Supposedly. used? Supposedly. Okay. One or more of the vehicles is equipped with a course monitoring tire. These course monitoring tires are basically the control, if you will, of the scientific experiment, right? So the course monitoring tires are always the same. In fact, they're specifically designed and built to the American Society of Testing and Materials, or ASTM, at a place or converse. I've never heard of that before. Were you going to say a place where a bunch of nerds were? <laughs> yeah, something to that effect. Uh, and they use standard E1136 and have, quote, particularly narrow limits of variability. Okay, uh, so who makes this otherwise, tire? Otherwise, they're they're basically very precisely the same. Right. Across so the who board. makes this tire? So I didn't write this down. They used to actually use just an off-the-shelf tire that they knew hadn't changed in like twenty years, and okay. that's their control. Okay. But now it is this specific tire made by this scientific testing community. 
the wow, ASTM. Okay. I, I bet – so to be in this American society and be able to get the UTGQ rating, mm-hmm. I bet you have to be a part of the society and give money to the society so they can do the testing in the first place. I'm going to guess it's that kind of society. Well, you have to buy these tires from the American Society for Testing and Materials. Oh, You okay. can readily buy them from— So you do your testing yourself yes, on this pre route. you do your route. testing, but you need to use one of these American Society for Testing Materials standard E1136 tires. So you buy the tires. tires from them. They're probably right. really expensive. Yeah, I don't know. Probably They've if they're be. that precisely yeah. made every time. It's like a $20,000 set of tires. Yeah. Because they're, so, they're selling how many? 300 sets of tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of your cars, at least one, is wearing these test tires. The other vehicles or vehicle in the testing convoy. What kind of vehicle do they use? It doesn't matter. Or maybe they well, use several different. Because if you have all-wheel drive car versus front-wheel drive versus rear-wheel drive. They didn't drive, specify alignment what vehicle. specifications. They didn't if specify. Because if you're using an X5, you're going to have some camber problems on the rear of those tires. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all these different variables. As I long what, as it's the same vehicle, though, in theory, they should wear comparatively. Could you imagine if they, they always use a Honda Accord, but there it is driving around on some Hoosiers <laughs> <laughs> for like 25 minutes? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't make the full 7,200 miles. No, no, not at all. So, yeah, as I said, the other vehicles in the testing convoy are fitted with the manufacturer's tires for testing, known as the Candidate Tire. Candidate tire wear will be checked during and after the test and compared to the wear on the CMT or the control tire from the same convoy in order to determine the ratio of wear in relation to the course monitoring tires. So a treadwear rating of 100 would wear equally to the course monitoring tire, whereas a tire that was twice as durable would receive a treadwear rating of 200 and so on. Okay. However... And this is important. Tire so manufacturers. The, the tire that they use is a hundred treadwear tire. Correct. Which is nobody would. Most people are not going to buy a hundred no, treadwear but tire. That probably makes testing easier. It's, it's, so over the course of seventy-two hundred miles, that, that hundred tire, tire will wear. Right. Right. And right. you can compare it to the other one. Sure. Uh, so this is the important part, though. Tire manufacturers are not under any obligation to grade a tire based on the test results at all. Okay. Except that they cannot overstate the grade. So. Chris, let's say you're a tire manufacturer, Chris Tires. And yeah, Chris Tires, yeah. I like it. And so Chris Tires is testing a new tire, and it's it's the Chris know-it-all. Oh, yeah, that's the best tire that's, ever that made. That would be the tire that Chris Tire would make. Yeah, no, every other tire is inferior. Yes. So your if you, tire— In fact, if you even buy another tire, you, we can't even be friends. Okay. okay. So the know-it-all tire by Chris Tire, let's say <laughs> you tested five times more durable than that course monitoring tire, which would be a 500— rating treadwear okay you as chris tire manufacturer may list it as a 400 treadwear rating if you like just for marketing or other purposes so you could basically list it whatever you want as long as it doesn't overstate the treadwear so as a as an enthusiast i'm usually looking at the treadwear rating going oh that's probably a stickier tire exactly so they can mess with you and then you never know exactly i don't like that very much nope the no Chris tire. tire. Chris Tire would never do that. <laughs> Chris Tire would be upfront. Yeah, maybe. All right. So the second part of the uniform tire quality grading system is a traction grade. So these are from highest to lowest: double A, A, B, and C. And this rating is determined by the following test. A tire is installed on an instrumented axle of a traction trailer, which is then towed by a truck at 40 miles an hour on asphalt. The tow truck is equipped with an onboard water supply system that sprays water in front of the test tire to maintain a constant wetness. 
The brakes from the test tire only are then momentarily locked and the sensors on the axle measure the longitudinal vertical forces as it slides in a straight line. We truly live in an amazing society <laughs> where somebody builds a trailer precisely to test this particular thing. By the way, the Hoosiers is a C in this, so they don't do very well when water is yeah, applied to the, to, the, to the race tire. So the coefficient of friction between the test tire and the surface is then determined as the ratio of the longitudinal vertical forces. So what does that mean? In other words, imagine you're riding on a trailer. Okay. Okay. And you're holding this axle with just a tire out there. Okay. As the tire locks up, there'll be a force basically pulling the axle back. Right. The amount of that force is what's measured. Okay. So a really sticky tire would basically pull harder. Well, that's interesting, but what you have to note about this traction test is it only represents a tire's ability to stop on wet pavement. This isn't a test to take into account cornering grip or any grip so on this, dry surface. This traction rating is completely stupid. Kind of. It's only wet. I never knew that. Yeah. So the third part of the uniform tire quality grading system then so, excuse is me. a temperature grade. This is useless. It is this kind entire of rating system is completely, <laughs> completely useless, especially for enthusiasts. Yeah, it's completely useless. Yeah. So they, the can say, they can say whatever they want for anything. the treadwear. It's only the wet. traction is only in the wet. So if you live in Arizona, don't even look. And here comes the temperature rating. Okay, which is also not what I thought it was. Okay, well I think I know what this one was, but I'm I'm not sure. You I don't. don't. Okay. Don't. <laughs> the third part of the uniform tire quality grading system is, as I said, the temperature grade from highest to lowest A, B, and C. Okay. These grades represent the tire's resistance to the generation of heat at speed. So, for instance, I knew that. That's tires yes. with a grade of A are able to effectively dissipate heat up to a maximum speed that is greater than 115 miles per hour. So basically, they're able to maintain a consistent temperature up to that speed, at which point they begin to overheat then and not right. be able to dissipate heat that they're generating. And then eventually they can delaminate. Exactly. Tires rated at B then are able to dissipate heat up to a maximum speed anywhere between 100 and 115 miles per hour. I think this is over a certain period of time too, isn't it? Isn't it over? Well, if they're able to dissipate heat at the same rate that is being acquired at the top speed. Okay. It just, until the tire wears out, it should maintain that speed. Okay. Uh, C-rated tires then are able Officer, to dissipate. Officer, my tire says that I can drive 115 miles an hour. It's V-rated yeah. until the tire wears out. That's, uh, that's get, hold on. No, you're only ABC in temperature rating. V is a speed rating, which we'll get into in oh, a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. My C, bad. Yeah, yeah. C-rated tires on the temperature scale are able to dissipate heat up to a maximum speed between 85 to 100 miles per hour. Anything below this are not actually legal to be sold in the U.S., so you have to be able to have that heat dissipation of 85 miles an hour at least so to actually be sold. So A is anything greater than 115 miles an hour? Yeah. What about 150 miles an hour? Do we know? There's nothing above A? There's not like double A or triple A? Nope. So also not on the temperature rating scale. Okay. So also completely useless. Well, not only that, what I found interesting is that these temperature ratings are basically just another type of speed rating. Right, because your speed is directly relative to how fast you're, or the heat is directly relative to how fast you're going. Yes, but what if you're driving in a hotter climate? On like, I thought... Brand new black asphalt. Exactly. I thought the temperature rating had to do with the temperature of the roads, basically, you're able to drive on. Okay. It's so a misnomer. It's, it's basically a separate rating outside of the UT... QC grading system that is speed ratings okay. then. Okay. So speed ratings. So far, it's 
completely useless. That was that was the entirety of the uniform tire quality grading system right from there. 1979. From 1979, that's what it did. <laughs> Treadwear, okay. which was totally you could make it up. You might as well just have like a burnout rating on the tires too. It just that be would just be as, better. That would, would be actually much be better. useful. Yeah. Yes, it would. Like, how long does it take to generate tire smoke? Because sometimes it takes a or while. You just, or you just take a, like you do a burnout on the tires, and how long until they pop? There you go. Also good. Yeah, yeah. that could be a good yeah. time. So then we move on. Like I said, speed rating is actually a different rating outside of the UTQG. So they have nothing system. to do with this. Nothing. Okay. So, so maybe speed ratings subclass. actually began in Germany where cars were able to achieve such high speeds in the Autobahn that rating the tire's ability at speed became necessary. These speed ratings are based on laboratory tests where the tire is pressed against a large diameter metal drum to reflect its appropriate load similar to a, a dyno. You know what I mean? It's basically yep. on a big drum being sped at so speed. So basically road force testing. Exactly. The tires then run at e ever-increasing speeds in 10-kilometer-per-hour steps in 10-minute increments until the tire's speed threshold has been met. So that means when it blows up. I think so. <laughs> okay. I, I couldn't find anywhere where it actually said like, oh, and this is how we know it meets the maximum. Well, maximum is failure. Right. I, well, no, you wouldn't Because want... they have to have some sort of a buffer in there, right? <laughs> Your tire is V-rated. If you hit this limit, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it explodes. That's what the rating means. Uh, no, I they... assume there's some sort of threshold where it doesn't explode, but they say no more. Maybe there's some sort of... Uh, just like radial expansion of the tire where it, it just like those dragsters. It, yeah. Where it balloons out past a certain certain percentage of its uh, sidewall diameter. They're like, okay, that's it. It's already gone past 40% or whatever measurement they use. Maybe regardless. What's that important. Sounds like a pretty good, that could be it. I think that could be eh, it. I, I would like to think that at some point it blows up and they just kind of back it off beep, like boop, 20 boop, miles an I'm hour. Chris's tire right now. Find out what he says. <laughs> hey, beep, Chris hello. tire. When do your tires, tires explode? <laughs> <laughs> so because this system originated in Germany, all speed My ratings, tires never explode, Mr. Selberg. <laughs> oh, well, good to know. I'm sure I will take they're, that at your word. They're K rated. <laughs> K is a terrible rating. Is it? Yes. K oh. is a terrible rating. All, all right. right. So because the system originated in Germany, all speed ratings are based off of kilometers per hour and are then converted to miles per hour, which is why these ratings don't fall on like even numbers. Okay. So speed ratings are displayed as letters on a passenger car tire L through Z. So K would not be in even the range. It'd be We're, terrible. <laughs> it's a trailer tire. Not even. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you can't do that. Either. A big wheels tire. Yes. There okay. you go. We're good. My All kid's right. big wheel is K rated by yeah. Chris Tire. So the, <laughs> the L, as we said, signifies a max rating of 75 miles an hour. So a K would be less what than that. What happened to A through L? Were they just like, eh, let's just start <laughs> Those are <L>. terrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they started at L. It doesn't make any Maybe sense. Maybe it's because the temperature ratings were all like A, 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 That's C. That's true, actually. They didn't want anything to do with any of that, that for makes confusion. Sense. Yeah. Uh, so L is 75 miles per hour. M is 81 mile per hour max speed and so on in 10 kilometer per hour increments. The rating originally. Well, that's, that's, that's a oh, kilometer per hour. Got it. Yep. Yeah which is why it's 75 and then 81. Yeah, six and miles then, per hour. Right, yep. exactly. The rating originally went up to a maximum speed of V, which was 149 miles per hour. Anything above this was signified with a Z. Right. So if they're testing it and it keeps going beyond 150, they're like, all right, well, that's a Z tire. 
However, as vehicle top speeds have increased even further, the standard has changed. So to require the addition of a W and Y speed ratings to identify 168 mile per hour and 186 mile per hour ratings specifically, and then Z is moved up to anything above 186 miles per hour. So did you know that at the top speed of a Bugatti Veyron, how long do you think the tires last? Well, those tires, I was thinking about this as I was researching, those tires, I believe, are specifically engineered just for that vehicle. Right. They will last, at top speed, they will last 15 minutes. <laughs> but it will run out of fuel in 12. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Nah. You're all set. So that's a little bit about how tires are rated. So Motor Trend reported in 2013 that a set of tires for the Veyron cost, what do you think? 20 grand. $42,000 from Michelin, and the new wheels rang in at $69,000 for a total of $111,000 for a set of wheels and tires. I wonder what Nokian's got for a Bugatti Veyron for snow tires. That'd be sweet, yeah. actually. Noting the seller's claim of current prices, blah, 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 blah. Who knows what? <laughs> Good God. It's a 245. Uh, oh, wow. These So they're 245-690R520A. I don't know what that I means. I don't know what any of that means. It's probably not UTG. Q. Say again, two forty five slash six ninety. So that six ninety must be that. Is that the size? That's the mil, that's the size. That's the diam the circumference. Or no, that would be the width. It's the, bigger than what, a two forty five though. What's six hundred ninety millimeters in inches? Six ninety might be the actual. No, that's too big too. It's got to be like a three eighty. Twenty seven. It's not a twenty seven inch wheel. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, it's not a penny farthing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what those mean. All right. Anyway, if, uh, this episode has been brought to you by Chris's Chris Tire. tire. <laughs> Chris we'll, Tire with the new model. The know-it-all. The know there it is all no tire. speed rating. You will always stop. You will never die. <laughs> and you can do burnouts wherever you want forever. That's my tire. That's, I like that's it. That's the way to do it. All right, guys. We will see you next Friday. Who's on next Friday? Next Friday, I think we have yeah, Magnus well, Walker. Yeah, I think we're going to have Magnus Walker on the podcast. Awesome. How does that sound to you? That sounds awesome. I can't wait. Take care, guys. We'll see you then.